as I've always said, every day counts. And here's just another example. Stay tuned. Welcome to Doing It Best with Elder Care Success, where we explore ways to relieve the stress, exhaustion, and overwhelm that we all face in caring for an aging parent, frail spouse, or partner. Fear, frustration, emotional and financial strain does not have to be your MO. Stay tuned as we dive into different and new ways of finding more joy together with those that we love and care for and while keeping our feet solid on the ground. Hang tight, there is a better road ahead. Hello everybody, it's Nancy May from Doing It Best with Elder Care Success and I have a a really lovely friend here with me today, Cindy Whitehead. And Cindy's story is is pretty special. Cindy is somebody that I connected early on in the course of building elder care success and care humanity. And she reached out to me the other day, sharing her personal story with her mom, which, to be honest with you, brought back memories of my own folks. And I really just started to say, so see, Cindy, you don't, you don't know this, but tears came to my eyes during our conversation. And it's fairly fresh. Her mom just passed away last week, Mimi French. And this is, this is an episode to share with you all Cindy's story, because she reached out to me and wanted to share. And, and just to, to let you all know that every day counts. It's so important no matter, even if you think that there's no hope. And I'll leave it there and let you go forward from this point on, Cindy. But let me just do one more thing before that, because I'm so touched by your story. I want to also share with our audience and listeners who you are, because you're a pretty amazing lady yourself. You are a rock star in the the skateboard world and helping young women and girls just hold their own. She's a wardrobe stylist for those who are in the skateboard and sport world and on movies and TV and film. And she's just, she just, you just rock the world. So I want to say thank you for that. And just for your kind heart and spirit and sharing what we're going to talk about here today. Thank you so much for your kind words. And I felt so lucky to have been introduced to you quite a while ago. And I've watched your journey. You've known about my journey. You and I are both very open in sharing our stories publicly on social media and other platforms. And I I know not everybody can do that. But I appreciate when there's people like us that can because it does help other people. And, you know, there's not there's not a lot of uh, guidebooks or references or there's a lot of companies who pretend to be helpful. And really, it's a money venture and it's not really what you may need. So it's really hard to navigate this world. It's, It's all foreign to us. It's not what you're taught in school. It, you learn from your friends as you're going through it. And some people really don't want to talk about it. And I understand why. It's very painful. It's hard. Some parents like my own, my mom had dementia that still for some people has a stigma around it. It shouldn't. It should be like cancer. Yeah, My mom had dementia. So I get it. They're, they're strong, talented women yeah. that we looked up to in our lives and helped us become the women that we are. Yeah. And it's hard to see that, that gentle fade, right? Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, um, a neurologist once told me when I was with my mom talking to him that 
for people with high intelligence level, like my mom was in Mensa, he said it's actually harder for them to go through dementia because they play little tricks on us, right? Like my mom would be like driving in the car and go, so if you were driving home from here, would you take Prospect or would you go down to the other street? So it's like a very vague question, right? And you're kind of like, well, we've lived here our whole life, whatever way you want, both goes the same place. But those were little telltale signs of her gauging like what to do. And when I repeated that to the neurologist, then I knew it was time that we stopped driving. Not we. But right? <laughs> no, I, I, I get it. And they question themselves. They're not sure. I think my mom yes. went through a period of bitter anger towards me, which was so hurtful because we always had a good relationship. Not every mother-daughter does, but ours was pretty special. So when that happened, I was I was blown away. I didn't know what it was, quite frankly. And I remember calling my younger sister and saying, do you believe what mom did? I'm like, I'm like furious. I'm never talking to her again. <laughs> and she says, now you know what I went through when she went through menopause. And like, and then later on, I realized like, no, this is, this is a whole nother ball of wax. I understood later on how the disease can be painful, not just to the person who's going through it, but to everybody else emotionally and versus just watching it happen as well. And I'm sorry that you had to go through that because that is hard mm -hmm. because relationships change, people's mental status change, people going through dementia or into Alzheimer's, they a lot of times say or do things that, that are completely out of character for their personality. And that is very hard to watch. I was very lucky. There were some things that my mom would say and do, but they weren't projected towards me. They were just observations that she would never make normally out loud. She's very genteel, very opposite of me. I'm very outspoken. I'm very gregarious. My mom is gregarious, but she's also very careful with her words and just, you know, like she would walk in my house and my house could be a total disarray and she would find one positive thing to say like, I love that painting. Is that new? You know, and you could have clothes everywhere on the floor, but this is what she focused on is the good. So when she started going through dementia, there were other things that she would say outwardly in public that I was appalled because for the average person, it probably wasn't that bad. But for me, knowing her, I was like, whoa, what just happened there? Yeah, I get it. <laughs> My mom used to like what she would look at women's butts. And she said, oh, that butt is so cute. It's like, Millie, mom, like, you don't need to say that. That's okay. <laughs> right. Because the inhibition sometimes leave and yeah. um, people say things and do things. And it's, it's hard on, on both of us, I think. You know, it's hard on our parents who are going through it. It's hard on us children and people that love them going through it. The whole thing is, is very hard. And like I said, there's when I started and probably when you started, there was no guidebook. There was no, you know... <laughs> cheat sheet of like, well, this is what you do. And this is the order you do it in. And this is what you don't do. It was all very trial and error. And I had very few friends who were speaking about it. I think that this time of life is one that we in general are, are still afraid of. And, and I get it, right? We're all taught that youth and vibrancy and, and energy and intelligence is good and strong. And we kind of forget that it's those final years that also bring so much can bring joy to us even if a parent has dementia and how can we make it gentle for them them too because we love them right yes and you know what's interesting is um ever since i was young ever since i was a girl scout and we used to go caroling at 
they didn't call them assisted livings and they called them the nursing home, right? So it's just the nursing right? home. Right, yeah, the old folks. Yeah, home. I'd come home. I was glad to go, but I'd come home in tears because in my head, I was like, what if some of those people don't have family visiting them? And what if this, and what if, the, and uh -huh. my mind would just be on that and I'd be so upset. So consequently, I, ever since I was younger, don't really like Christmas as much as I should because I focus on older people. I have a, I have a like a kinship with older people. I think my whole life, because my grandmother helped raise me. Right. So did my grandfather. And I just really care about older people, what they're going through and who's caring for them and how they're being cared for. And um, I used to be really upset when I came home. My mom used to say to me, but the nice thing is you're there with your friends, bringing them joy. That's what you should focus on. Right. So she was always looking for the bright spot. And I was always looking for, you know, but why aren't people doing more? Are there families there? Like where, where is everything happening? Why are they alone? And are they even alone? Because, you know, you're there for one night for a couple hours, right? Of course. But it just always made me very sad. And I think I've just always had like a kinship with older people. Mm -hmm. I just really feel protective of them. And I think in our society, we don't always get that. That's in other countries. It's you take care of your elders. Like they are, they are first and foremost, right. but in America, it's not always the case. And I've seen it even at the assisted livings I've been at. I know which kids come, which families come, mm -hmm which ones now find it so painful that their parent doesn't always know who they are and they stop coming. And I want to say, don't stop. Coming. Yeah. Repetition helps and it doesn't always work, but there are bright spots and you need to keep coming as, as hard as it is on you. It's harder on them. And it, it breaks my heart. And uh, now that my mom has passed this last week, sorry, it's, it's hard. Okay. It's her birthday today. So I wanted to do this podcast with you on her birthday to honor her. And I think about one woman in particular where my mom was living and I know her family's not coming as much as they used to. And it breaks my heart because mm -hmm. I see her every day, you know, and I know what makes her smile and I know what she's about. And I'm like, you guys are missing out as hard as it is. I know your mom and you're missing out. And I just wish that everybody could remember that as they're going through this. Don't miss out. Don't ever look back and regret because you can't get it back. And I think the grief afterwards will be more painful of what you've missed out, even if they don't remember who you are. We really don't know a lot in many cases, in most cases, what's going on in somebody's brain when they have dementia or Alzheimer's because they may not recognize us. But deep down inside, there's still that connection there's often a, a soft smile or some sort of hint of, of remembrance, I think that, and maybe I'm wrong, but uh, I hope that's not the case. No, you're, you're right. Ab absolutely. And, and whether they call you by the wrong name or think that you're their mother or their sister, whatever it is, just go with those conversations. Like I learned very early on, whatever my mom would say, I was very lucky. She always knew who I was. She would say my name. She would say, I love you. I was very lucky to have that. And I know how lucky I am from talking to people who have lost that connection. But no matter what she would say, I would go along with it. Or if even if I couldn't understand her, you know, at, at, towards the later years, I would just smile and go, that's a positive. Mm -hmm. Because growing up, I, I knew that she didn't like negative. She always likes positive. And that's what we'd always say. 
that's a positive. <laughs> and so I would just say that. So that way, if she had any worry in her mind, it would make her feel safe and comfortable. And I would just always smile and just make it something good, no matter what she might be trying to say that I didn't understand. Because to, to hammer at people and be like, I don't understand you. What are you saying? What are you saying? That doesn't help you. It doesn't help them. It causes frustration. And you're not enjoying your time that you have with your parent or loved one at that moment. You know, we need to learn to be a little bit more gentle on them and ourselves. And, you know, things aren't perfect. And that's okay. It's all right. You had reached out to me because you had had a, a situation with the care facility that your mom was in. And then you decided to move her at the as she was going through hospice which was part of the reason why you reached out because of the experience that you had with this other group called Caring Home. The Caring House. Oh, Caring House. Thank you. And I had heard about the Caring House before, but I've never had anybody who had actually experienced them. Would you share with me a little bit about what happened there and why you you decided to move? Well, you know, I always have been told um, by every neurologist and people that are in the know that moving your parent when you have dementia is not the best thing for them. You know, you want continuous places, sounds, people, what's familiar. So I've been very careful about moving my mom. Uh, We were in a very big assisted living at one time, had a lot of problems. Uh, My mom didn't, but I had a lot of problems with the executives there and being hounded a lot. And I Mm -hmm. came to find out later, that's a very common theme. And since I don't have brothers and sisters, there was nobody else to call every day and hound except me. So every day I get a phone call. And it really wasn't about my mom doing anything wrong or her safety yep. or anything that mattered to me. It was about getting more money. And um, when I finally like zoned in on that and went, okay, so this is the deal. We, we would have numerous meetings and I was like, my gosh, why am I in here every day when I want to see my mom having meetings with this guy? So eventually... I met with an elder care attorney and weighed my options. And I said, we're leaving. And we moved to a much smaller facility. My mom was really nervous. She was really scared. She knew we were moving. She knew we were changing. She was much better four years ago than she was a week ago, obviously. And we moved to a smaller place where it's called a six pack. It's um, commonly known in California, at least as a six pack. They're small homes with six rooms and two caregivers during the day, one at night, sometimes more. And it's a very intimate setting. But it was better because there was more eyes and hands on her. And we had really amazing caregivers. About a year in, uh, two people had been there for quite a long time, decided to retire. I was nervous. But two younger people came on. They were absolutely amazing. And through the pandemic, they were amazing. We couldn't have asked for a better situation. They unfortunately decided to move on right before Thanksgiving time. And we had changeover again. And unfortunately, that changeover wasn't great. It wasn't what we were used to. It wasn't It wasn't the compassion and everything that we saw in the past. And there was problems cropping up. My mom was already on hospice before this, before they, they left. So we were going through hospice. And uh, about... Two and a half weeks ago, I was told by hospice, and by the way, um, you know, all hospice is not created the same either. Let's. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's touch on that for a second too, because I have worked with um, Torrance Memorial Hospice, which is 
of the hospital hospice local to me. And there's two hospitals here. I have had nothing but fantastic experience with my stepdad, Arlo, and my mom, Mimi. I've had friends that have named other hospices who've been great. And I've had friends who've named other hospices who I've been shocked to find out were just falling short in every single way. And I will always say to people, what you don't know is you can leave. You can walk away from that hospice the very same day and get another hospice. There's no contract. You don't have to stay. You don't have to have an exit letter. You can go. Yeah, there. that's true. Providing there's another hospice provider that's available in your area. Where we are, there's only one. However, oh, yeah, so it makes, yeah, I actually checked out our hospice and I asked them, I said, are you for-profit or not-for-profit and do I have a choice? And they said they were, because there's also issues with for-profit and not-for-profit. And there's a, there's a lot of research and back-end work that's being done on how the for-profit hospice and even the not-for-profit hospice occasionally is becoming quite a moneymaker. And the focus is on the money, just as in many of the care facilities. It is. But you can, depending upon how the hospice is set up, ask for a different hospice team if you're not happy with that team. So ours worked in groups of four and six individuals and got to know the hospice team and the people and you found out about their lives and what they were doing to care for others, which really helps you understand what's happening in their life so that they can provide the better support to you as you need this and and your mom, which is ultimately their customer in this process. And you bring up a very good point. I live outside of Los Angeles, not in Los Angeles. I live in a small beach town. However, we have a lot of resources here. So I didn't think what I was speaking about places where there's maybe one hospice. For us, there's at least 10 or 12 that I can think of that I could call in. So for me, if this one hadn't worked out, it wasn't even just the person I was dealing with, the whole company itself, I could move to another one just like that. That's unusual. That's not always the case elsewhere. We have two major hospitals here that run hospice out of them. We have other groups that are independent that run hospice. And I've spoken to many of them over the years. And both times I've used Towards Memorial and I've had great luck. And yes, it's great to know your hospice team. You know, with us, we had the same nurse the whole way through. If she wasn't available, there was secondary nurses. It's important to have a hospice company that answers the phone 24-7. Absolutely. I've heard cases of not getting phone calls answered. Ours picks up the phone no matter what time of day or night, as evidenced by what happened with me on Christmas Eve day. Mm-hmm. So, and I'll get to that. But uh, I think all those things are important to ask and look for and to ask your friends what their experience has been with it. Because I have not one bad thing to say. And I'm one who's all about sharing the good and the bad and being very frank and honest and not sugarcoating it. And uh, twice now I've gone through hospice experience with Arlo, my stepfather, and also with Mimi, my mom. And same company, two different Mm -hmm. lead nurses, two different bathers, two different uh, social workers, different people, because there's a huge team there. And amazing, both times. I mean, I couldn't ask for anything more. And they were instrumental in helping me make the decision. As I saw my mom, all of a sudden, she was actually getting kicked off hospice. She was, I was told. At, was, at this six pack facility. The well, smaller. she was getting, she was getting, yeah, she was at this, she was at the um, assisted living, the small one. And hospice came to me, I think it was on December 12th. They came to me and said, hey, you know what? 
she her stats are level. They've been level for a long time. We can't legally keep her on hospice because Medicare will not allow that. Right. So on the 21st of January, we're going to have to transition her, but we have a plan for you. And we have a doctor on staff that you can use. And we, we don't have to bring her to a doctor. You don't have to, you can go back to what you used to do, but that would be too hard. Or we have this other plan and we can help you. So I felt very reassured, but I was really bummed. And all of a sudden, you know, by December 23rd, my mom was in a full decline and it came out of nowhere. And I'm, I'm not- now this was after the shift of the AIDS at the facility as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And I, I, I'm not going to go into like why she might have gone into a decline. It does happen. I mean, things happen. Things change. We all know that. Sure. But the bottom line is she started declining and I started making calls and I started saying to hospice, what can we do? Do you have a hospice facility? Do you have a hospice home? Because I know some people are elsewhere when they're on hospice. Right. And I knew a couple things, but I wasn't thrilled about where I was thinking of because it was part of a nursing home and there's a wing that's hospice. And I really didn't want to do that. And it's clinical and yeah. it's not homey and, yeah. and it's not and, yeah. it's and not gentle. I just didn't want to do that. And they said, well, you know, there's this place called the Caring House. And I said, oh my gosh, my friend Linda, who works at Torrance Memorial in a different capacity, she's volunteered there. She's talked about it and raved about it. Of course, it kind of went in one ear and out the other because I'm going to stay here until the very end because I love where we're at. And I have nothing but good things to say. So good, in fact, that my friends were all like, this is the first time we've heard your voice be steady and calm and you be relaxed in the last six years. When you were at the other place, you were you were in fight mode constantly. Wow. You were still great to be around, but you were in fight yep. mode. Now you're sleeping through the night. You're relaxed. It's great. But all of a sudden, it wasn't so great. Mm. And I was like, okay, what do I do what is my normal operandi, modus operandi when I'm like hitting a wall? It's figure it out, make it happen and do it fast. And I'm all about that. I'm, I'm not about sitting around complaining about it. I'm about fixing it. And it feels like it gives me some control and it feels like the right thing. And it usually is. And so I started asking for help. I asked hospice. Are you sure you're not, we're not related? <laughs> I, think we, I think we probably are from what I know about you and what you know about we're me. We're soul sisters, right? <laughs> yeah, I I have um, always been asked by hospice if I'd like to speak to a social worker or if I'd like to speak to a chaplain. There's a lot of services available that they have with our hospice. And I've always declined those extra services. I've even declined the bather because I'm like, our house does the bathing. We, why would we take up that resource that someone else might need? Sure. And my mom always taught me like, you know, wait till you need a resource before you ask for it. So there's other people who might need it more than you. So I, oh, that was always in my mind, like social worker keeps calling me. She's awesome, but I, I'm good. I don't need your help. Help the people who need help. But here I am on December 24th and I'm like, no, someone needs to help. I need help. And started putting those wheels in motion. And on December, no, I guess it was on the 26th that that started happening. And you have to get approval from your nurse or doctor to move into caring house because you really have to be in a serious decline. Most people I understand at caring house are there maybe a few days to maybe a couple weeks at the most. It is, it is very terminal end of life care mm -hmm. and it's very special. And so having heard about it from Linda, who I just love and trust, and then now hearing about it from a social worker who has no vested interest except helping me and saying, 
we should call for you immediately. And of course, like she might be calling for me, but I'm already on the other line while I'm talking to her, calling myself. And they had an opening. And I think that's my mom's little guardian angel because every time, the twice times I've had to move her, there's just been a room available. It's come up that day or the mm. day before, and I've just slid right in and it saved me from whatever was happening. And they were going to move her that night, but it was raining. It was cold. They felt and I felt we should wait till the morning when the daytime team is on. wouldn't be so scary for her, et cetera, et cetera. So that is what we did. I had a hospice nurse stay with me. So your mom was still aware of her surroundings. She wasn't. She was, but she was nonverbal at this point. Okay. She was, she had shifted a lot and she was nonverbal and I could tell something was wrong when she did speak to me. I'd say, are you okay? And she'd say, no, my mom never says she's not okay. Oh, wow. She could, you know, break a hip and she has, and she'll tell you she's fine and don't give her any drugs. So I met one of the nurses from hospice who wasn't my regular one at the house. And he started giving her comfort meds. I was pleased that he was there to do that because I felt like the newer people at the house might not be as well versed mm -hmm. in that. And I know that I'm not well versed in that, nor should I be doing that. And he stayed with, he asked if I wanted him to stay with me till the ambulance transport arrived. And I said, I would appreciate that, that you were here for all of that. He was very smart. He, when the two women came in from the ambulance transport, he said, you get in your car and you go because they're going to be faster than you and you get over there. He also didn't want me freaking out about how they were placing right. her or right. carrying her because, you know, you and I are, I don't want to say control people, but we, we want to make sure our loved one's okay. So he was very smart to have me get in the car and go. And I met them there and they came minutes afterwards. Caring House opened their doors to me. I had not even signed a contract yet. They had sent it via email. I, I hadn't hadn't finished mm -hmm. doing it yet. Um, wasn't at my computer. They just ushered me in. They showed me the room she'd be coming to. They had it all ready. Another woman was asking me if I needed coffee or water, anything. Um, would I like to sit down while I was waiting for them to bring her in? Just er everything you could imagine to go right was happening at that moment. And I was like, my husband was out of town. Mm -hmm. I was alone. Um, I didn't have any friends I could really call because they're all at work. And I, I don't want to bother anybody. And it's a relationship that's happening with you and your mom. It's very personal. Yeah. 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 And all these women all of a sudden that are there are just around me like butterflies helping me, but not being overbearing. And they get my mom to her room and hospice all of a sudden has her normal bather there. She's like, I'm going to put her in a gown. I'm going to, you know, clean her up. If she needs it. I'm going to get her situated in, in here. And Rhonda, your regular nurse, oh. is on her way right now. So she left. Rhonda came in. We sat and talked. We talked to Mimi for a little bit. And Rhonda said, mm -hmm. you know, I need to give her some more comfort beds because she's having a hard time. And within an hour and a half of me being at Caring House and being in such a warm, loving nice, calm, beautiful environment in this room with the window looking out to their patio and trees. My mom passed away within an hour and a half of us. Oh my goodness, that quick. I thought she was there a couple of days. I didn't realize it was that fast. No, no. And I firmly believe like my mom needed that. She needed to be somewhere where she felt safe and comfortable and there were quiet voices and there wasn't turmoil and there was people who touched her and cared about her. And she felt 
the love around me as well. That was important to her. So I think. She wanted that for you too, which is important. Yeah, I think she honestly held on so that all could happen. So that was a very like selfless thing that she did because I'll be honest with you, if this had all happened at our regular place, I would have been more of a mess than I was. And sure. it wouldn't have been the memory that I wanted to have with my mom mm -hmm. in those last hour. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I stayed there. Uh, the nurse finally left me. You know, she stayed for quite a long time. They made all the calls for me, took care of everything. And I waited for a Neptune Society to come, which was about two hours. They told me it would be about two hours. And, you know, I just didn't want to leave her side. I know as strange as that sounds, I just, I didn't want to leave her side until they came. Mm -hmm. And those women just still kept coming in, trying to take care of me the best they could, ask if I needed anything. Would I like a sandwich, some coffee, anything mm -hmm. without being overbearing? It was, it was amazing. It was like nothing I've ever seen. And they, they do it day in and day out because people are passing through there quickly. They're not there for four years where we were. They're not there for a month. They're there for a very short time. And they're treating everybody with dignity, respect, love, kindness, engaging what you may need before before my mom was even, you know, taken away, they had asked me to pick out a stone in the shape of a heart. They had a basket full of rocks from the beach. And most of them were kind of heart-shaped. And they had already, uh, once I picked it out, put her name on it and put it in a glass-shaped heart with all the other stones of people's names that had passed away there around. And she stayed in the heart until the next person passed. So they have all these rituals and these things that are just like special, so comforting and nice and thoughtful without being invasive. You know, here's here's me pragmatic and my mom's daughter trying to give him a credit card going, you know, I need to I need to give you the donation. I need to pay. You need to run this. And they're like, we can deal with that later. That doesn't need to happen right now. I'm like, no, she'd never forgive me if I walked out of here and didn't take care of this. <laughs> you know, this is like. I promise this and, and I really need to do it. I just can't say enough nice things about them. I haven't, uh, at this point in time, I have not put anything on social media about my mom passing. My close friends do know what has happened, um, but I, I haven't shared it on social media as of yet, even though people have followed the love story of Arlo and Mimi for many years now. And when we lost Arlo, you know, they continue to follow Mimi's story. It was heartbreaking to see him pass. Yeah, it really was. And uh, be three years this March. And uh, now I have to update everybody about this part of the story. But I just haven't been ready to do it yet. And um, I think, you know, maybe this weekend I will. But I will be saying, you know, in, in lieu of, of flowers or, you know, people always ask, like, what cause you'd like donations to. <laughs> and I am going to say the Caring House. It's, it's a nonprofit. There needs to be more places like this. It's one house with six rooms. And yes, people are passing in and out because of the nature of the, what they're dealing with. But they even told me they could have four of these houses. They need more. Yeah, absolutely. And it's truly selfless what they do. The people who do this, and I'd heard of Caring House over here on, in, when I was in Connecticut and then now down in Florida. And the stories that I heard were, were incredible on how they had taken people in, cancer patients, individuals like your mom and yourself. And it was not just the person, but it was every soul that touched that person. 
that is important and how how we go through that and it's it's a very private thing to do yet it's something we all go through and it's different and you're right we're told how to live life we're not told how to help those that we love exit life with love and grace and support for them and how do we be gentle on our hearts it's it's i'm like you not to make direct comparisons but i'm like okay you know my dad died now i have to take care of mom i have to take care of her and what's going on right it's like what's the next order of the day and okay i've got to take care of all the aides because they're going through grief and what's going on and hospice did we had a very special hospice team and they asked me he said is there anything we can do for you and i said no i'm fine i'm fine i'll just send in the next person right you know? <laughs> and like they <laughs> they suggested a chaplain i'm like yeah you know i'm not one of those churchy people and neither is my dad but i took a breath and it's it's when i had sort of lost my breath before my dad passed and I said you know um, I'm taking care of everybody else maybe I just need to spend five minutes and have somebody take care of me for a few minutes and Pastor Scott was just amazing special see sometimes you don't know what you need but other people do people who have gone through this or deal with this they know better than we do sometimes. We're we're always the goers and the doers. And right. I know you were very much like me, and we both keep saying that, but it is true. I think we're always making decisions, pushing forward. And I think that's also something we wanted to touch upon is making decisions quickly, even when you get pushback. Because I'll be honest with you, I got a lot of pushback about moving my mom out of that house. I'm so sure. I was, I was shocked. I was actually shocked. I did not think I'd get any pushback about that because I'm doing what's best for her. And that's always been the plan. And that's always what I've experienced with this home and the people who own it and everything else. I've never had a bad experience. I think it was more personal than it was pragmatic on their end. Like it was, it was taking something that was about my mom and making it more personal to them where it wasn't about them, but they were taking it that way. Whereas I was looking at what's best for me and her. That's all I care about right now. Absolutely. But I, I got a lot of pushback and I, I think about it now and I'm like, I held strong and I said, this is what I'm doing. This is what I was advised to do. And it was like, but why? We've never, nobody's ever done this in 23 years, but why? Why are they? You don't have to explain why. Why are they telling you to do this? And, you know, feeling like maybe hospice was against them. And it's very hard when you're the only one there, as you you know, and you're holding mm-hmm. strong for your loved one and yourself, and you're sitting outside in the rain in your car having this conversation when you know this is what you have to do. And as strong as a lot of people around me I know are, I know that people get hammered. And when people get hammered and they're emotional, they tend to just throw up their arms and go, okay, never mind. You're right. I can't. They break. They break down and they give in. And- I know that if I had given in, I would be here regretting it. And I wouldn't have called you for one because I'd be so upset with myself. As bad as this situation is on a lot of levels, I know that I did the right thing and we were in the best place possible when my mom passed. And I feel very thankful for that. And I feel like there were a lot of angels around me making that happen, even though there were some people who were trying to thwart that from happening, which was shocking to me. Because, you know, you always think you have a team, right? And you always think everybody's playing on the same team. Well, occasionally somebody exits the team and doesn't tell you and you're you're a little thrown by that. Because if you have naysayers, you know who those are. And you sure. go, okay, that person's going to be a problem. 
I'm out of here. But when you assume you all have the same vision of what's best for the person you love and one person doesn't follow that plan, it's broken. That is hard to stand up to. And I think that if I wasn't who I am, I think many people, I would think eight out of 10 people, had they listened to what I went through, they would have got back out of their car and called hospice and said, you know what, we're not going to move. We're, we're okay here. We're put into some very difficult corners as caregivers of those parents and people that we love. And you, know, you talked about not, you know, being told never to move or not to move somebody who has dementia. I moved my parents five times, once from the assisted living facility, the first one they went into. And I saw the decline in my mom. And if I left her there, she would have been dead and dad would have been dead shortly thereafter. And it was about very much about the money and for them, for the facility. But it was also about quality of care and the cost of that care, which ultimately would have meant death. And when we left... The nurse who encouraged us to leave, the head nurse who I referred to as Nurse Ratchet, and <laughs> I names for everybody, nicknames, and I've used some of those on previous podcasts, but she actually said, you're leaving. I'm so surprised. You know, most people die after they leave. Yeah, they like to use scare tactics. And I was like, so I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. So I think, you know, part of the moral to this story is that there are ways to do it. And ultimately, as caregivers, we can't. We can't operate like we do in normal life. We have to trust what we see and what we know is best because those are the people that we love and who know us and we know them better than anybody else. And you have to move fast in making decisions. And trust your gut. Absolutely. Your gut is almost always right. I mean, mine's, I think, always right, unfortunately. And I think, too, like everybody's got a different situation. Like out here, we have at-home caregivers, too, that you can get. They're very, very expensive it's running about $20,000 a month for yep. round-the-clock care at home. But the thing that I found about that, when Arlo had at-home caregivers, because he had it stipulated in his estate and his will, that he would stay at home and pass away there unless there was a medical necessity. So I knew what to do for him because it, it said it. It said it right here. Do, do not move. That's a yeah. huge gift that he gave yeah. you. Yeah, to do not move. Um, as much as he loved my mom, he was not going to be happy there. He was not going to be there. And he had all his faculties. You know, he didn't have dementia. And so the thing that was nice about those caregivers is I could call that agency and say, this one's not working out. This is a problem. I also had peace of mind that they had a rule with that caregiving agency that one person couldn't leave and go home in the morning till the other one got there. Yep. So if this one had a car accident or was running late, this one couldn't leave. He was never left unattended. I was never going to get a phone call at 6.30 or 7 a.m. saying, hey, Susie didn't show up for work and you're 40 minutes away. And by the way, you're going to a film set. But guess what? You're going to need to deviate and go here. And I, I could do that. So that was a great thing to have. And your just stepdad has fallen. Therefore, he's in the hospital because nobody was there for him, right? Yeah. yeah. So I had a lot of control there. However, mm -hmm. at the very end, I had them come to me and say, oh, we hear there's comfort meds in the house because he was on hospice the whole time. I said, there's always been comfort meds in the house and your people have been great because there's been times when he's needed certain things at night. And he says- They weren't licensed. He says, no, we're, we're not licensed to do that. We cannot be doing. And I said, so what do you expect me to do? Because we're now at the 11th hour again. It always seems like people love to throw this 
at me at the 11th hour. Right. And it's literally the clock's ticking with him at this point. That's why we're discussing comfort meds. So I had to interview new agencies and I had one that was extremely pushy. A man that sat in our living room and then called me incessantly, emailed me. It was very pushy. I knew they were not the right one for me. And there was another one that I thought was better. We had to pivot and switch agencies, switch caregivers, switch everything like two weeks before he passed and get all this emotion and get them organized of how the house worked and how I worked and what he needed. And it's just like, I think if you tell a caregiving agency that your parents on hospice, they're going to know that comfort meds are involved. And instead of being greedy about the money, <laughs> they should, yeah, they should tell you up front, here's the sitch. You can hire us, but when it gets to that point, which could be soon, for us, it was like a year and a half, but it could be soon. We are unable to do that. We're not licensed to do that because then I wouldn't have been in that situation scrambling. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff that people really seem to like to throw at you like when you're at your worst point. And I think maybe it's because they feel like you're down and out or down and under and you won't fight them. It's easy for them to throw us under the bus and get what they need. Yeah, but they don't know you or me. It's, it's horrible to say that that's, this is an industry that's called a care industry. And there are some amazing people in this space that do incredibly good work. But there is a very large percentage of it that is publicly run with outside shareholders that are more interested in stock results and profits than the hearts of those that we love. And that's important to know and, and knowing how to make those decisions when it comes down to it. When we're at our most vulnerable, it's hard. You are a special, special person, Cindy, and I am I am so thankful that we found each other early on in the process. It's been such a delight to get to know you. And, you know, it's sad to watch your journey, but hopefully I've been able to provide some some heart to you, too. You've been great. I feel very lucky to have met you early on. And I'm so sorry about your appearance as well, everything you've been going Thank through. You. But I love and appreciate what you're doing now to help people and to share their stories because... If I had had this early on, it probably would have helped me a lot. You know, I would have right. had a lot more. And I'm really thankful that you allowed me to do this on my mom's birthday, on Mimi's birthday. I think I think she'd be happy and pleased. I think she'd be looking down going, there she goes again. <laughs> I think she's smiling down. She said, look at those two, those two crazy chicks. Look at those yeah, two. Yeah, she'd be like, there goes Cindy again. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank, thank you for having me and thank you for allowing me to share this journey and this story. I really appreciate it. And thank you for everything you do and, and, and being so willing to share it. I, I think I actually don't think I know your story will help others as well. So my love, if we weren't so far apart, I'd give you a huge hug. <laughs> so I'll give you a virtual hug. Right back at you. And hope that we'll stay in touch for a long time to come. I know we will. Girls are not a four-letter word. <laughs> <laughs> You'll hear about that elsewhere. Thank, thank Take you care, so Cindy. much. Love you all. Bye-bye. This show is sponsored by Caremanity, the publishers of How to Survive 911 Medical Emergencies, a step-by-step -step guide before, during, and after. For your own personalized free file of life, go to www.howtosurvive911.com. 
All trademarks, brands, and comments are not intended to be substitutes for medical, financial, or legal advice. Please consult a medical, legal, or financial professional for issues relevant to your own personal situation. This show is produced by Caremanity LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright Caremanity LLC.